And we're in a series right now, for those of you who are visiting, we're in a series on I don't think it means what you think it means. And the goal of this series is to take words in Scripture that have lost some of their meaning because of culture. And culture has redefined things to mean something that they don't mean. And then in doing that, it, it has um, affected biblical doctrine. If you change the way of what a word means, then everything historically that was written using that word ultimately changes its meaning. So any, any book that was written in the early 1900s or whatever has a totally new meaning because the word that was used that meant something back then no longer means the same thing anymore. And now you have a, people reading books and coming up with completely different conclusions. Now, that's okay if you're reading comic books, right? But we're not reading comic books. We're reading the Word of God. And so it's absolutely necessary that we, we re-embrace the meaning of words so that when we read the Word of God, we can see what exactly it is that the Word of God means. Uh, many scholars today have gone to actually making a strong emphasis on fo focusing on the original languages that the Word of God was written in because they don't want to fall prey to how, how um, really, how the, the, the English language has declined in the last several years. And, and, and we even see it politically today. Again, we see words changing meanings, which ultimately changes uh, uh, truths. And so we want, to re, we want to re look at some of these words and just kind of embrace what does God, what does God mean when he says um, the word, when he uses the word love? What does he mean when he uses the word grace? What does he mean when he uses um, <clears throat> other terms throughout Scripture to uh, describe his own character? Because I guarantee you, if we, as we unfold this this morning, you're going to find yourself thinking, man, I, I never thought of that as being associated with God's love. It didn't make sense to me. Matter of fact, I, I will tell you up front, if you... And, and I'm not, I don't want to be offensive this morning. I don't want to, to make anybody walk away and, and scratching their heads. But I, I, I will share this with you up front that some of the things that are connected biblically to love are going to, they're going to cause you to think differently about your interpretation of love. And in effect, you're going to think differently about God. Because according to 1 John, God is... God is love. I mean, it messes things up if God is love and our definition of love is all skewed, right? So it's very important that we get this idea of this truth of love down and understand all of the aspects of it, all the characteristics of it, even if we don't like them, even if they don't fit into 21st century thinking, it is still important that we get it right because honestly, it doesn't really matter what the culture thinks. It matters what God has Told us. And we need to re-embrace some of these things. So, so love is our word this morning. Love is what we're going to focus on. Love is one of the most important themes in the Word of God with, without question. It is the foundation for all of Scripture. It's the foundation for all of life. 
It's the foundation for Christianity. When we think about the hope that we have, we have a hope that's based upon love. We have a hope that's based upon love. So, so love is crucial. The understanding of love, the meaning of love is crucial to our functioning in life. Going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, we see that God created Adam with a need for love. And that need for love was, was satisfied by God's daily interaction with Adam in the garden, a loving interaction. The Bible says that he fellowshiped with Adam, he communed with Adam. Adam had a need, and God was the one that fulfilled and satisfied that need. And when God decided that he was going to let Adam have a companion, he created Eve, and Eve then became that physical satisfaction of Adam's need for love. Matter of fact, the first thing in Genesis chapter number 2 that God says is not good, and you can, you can, you can read Genesis 1 through 2.18, and everything is good. Matter of fact, everything is very good up until that point. But when you get to chapter number 2 and verse 18, the Scripture says there's something that's not good. And what was not good? It was not good that Adam was alone. It was not good that Adam didn't have a help me. It wasn't good that Adam didn't have a companion. It wasn't good that Adam didn't have that loving interaction. So what does God do to solve that? Well, he creates Eve. And then Adam has a companion, somebody that he can love and somebody that can love him back. This is the theme of Scripture. It doesn't, it doesn't begin, the love of God doesn't begin after the fall. The love of God begins before the fall. It is, it is an expression of his nature and his character. It's interesting to think as well that in the fall, Satan attacks Eve in relation to her love. Satan attacks Eve in regards to her love for God. Do you love God more than you love uh, human wisdom or satisfying your earthly needs, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life? Satan attacks Eve in this realm of, do you love God more than you love these things? And we know that Eve fell because she saw all of these things as being valuable to herself. And ultimately, if you think about it, what Eve did in the garden is became selfish. She became self-centered and self-focused, which is the antithesis of love, right? And she got a false understanding of love. He attacks Eve in regards to her love for God. Then he attacks Adam in regards to his love for Eve. Because Adam is trying to fix Eve's failure. And, and, and he, he attacks, he loves Eve. Eve is this, this special gift that God has been given, that God has given to him. And his love for her drives him into the sin that ultimately is then passed down to every generation throughout all of the world. Remember this, Eve's sin was not, is not that which was passed down to every generation. It was Adam's sin that was passed down. And what Adam did is Adam tried to solve sin's problem. Adam tried to solve sin's problem on his own, in his own way. That's why Jesus is called the second Adam, because Jesus Christ attempted to do what Adam failed to do, and Jesus Christ succeeded at it. Meaning Jesus Christ solved the problem of sin, Adam failed to solve the problem of sin, and ultimately cast it down through every generation. And may I suggest to you that every time we try to solve the problem of sin, all we do is cast it down to the next generation. True, isn't it? We can't solve the problem of sin. All we like sheep have gone astray is what the Bible tells us in Isaiah 53, right? And the solution is, is the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. We can't solve the problem of sin, but Jesus Christ already solved the problem of sin. 
So God attacks, or Satan attacks Eve at the heart of love. God attacks, or Satan attacks uh, Adam. I'll get this right before we're done, folks. God attacks Adam in the, in, 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 in the heart of love. And, and, this, and, uh, and this undermines love as a whole. What you see immediately after their failure, their falling, is you see that now they both are attacking each other. Um, Adam is blaming Eve. Eve is blaming Adam. They're, they're going after each other. That love has been destroyed or, or, or at least forgotten, confused. And now they are entering into a, a realm of hating each other. And we go on to their first sons, and they end up, one of them ends up killing the other one. You have the first murder in the Bible that doesn't take place too long after the creation. And the reason was is because man failed to stay within that realm of understanding love, selflessness, and they gave in to their selfish pride. What's good, though, is that God's character never changes. Love is restored. Love is restored to us in and through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the epitome and the essence of love. He came into this world to display the love of God for our people. Ron, Ron quoted for us Romans 5 and verse 8, that while we were still sinners, Christ died. God exhibited his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God doesn't leave us to uh, remain in that condition of lovelessness, he restores it, and he restores it in and through his own son, in, especially as it relates to um, Christ in us, living through us. So with that in mind, let me give you a few things, then I'm going to give you nine things that, will, that are um, perhaps confusing about love that maybe we should recapture. First of all, these are some scriptural truths about love. John 3.16, the Bible tells us that love is the basis or the reason for why God sent his son into the world. Romans 5.8 tells us that the reason why Jesus Christ died for sinners was because of love. John 13.35, love is the evidence of a person being a true disciple of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 4.8, the Bible tells us that love covers the multitude or love covers all sins. In other words, there's, if you're in love, if you're in the love of God, there's nothing that you can do to destroy that. And we'll look at that more thoroughly in a moment. Song of Solomon tells us that love is unstoppable and love is unquenchable. Matthew 22 tells us that love is the first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is like it. You are to love your neighbor as yourself. I will submit to you this morning that the Ten Commandments are captured in two commandments in the New Testament. One is love God. Love God with all that you are. Love God with all that you have. Love God with everything about you. Love God fully and, 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 uh, and, and unquenchably. That's the first commandment. That's the first four commandments in the Old Testament. The last six commandments are love your neighbor, love others. Love others with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love them fully. And also, I will submit to you that loving, loving God is, loving others is a natural byproduct of loving God. If you truly love God, you will love others. First John tells us that. He says, 
If you say that you love God, but you do not love the person standing in front of you, it's a paraphrase, you don't love your brother or your neighbor, he says that you're not telling the truth. You can't love God and not love the person in front of you, your neighbor, your brother, your wife, your husband, your children. You can't. You can't love God and not love them. 1 Corinthians 13, which is where you're at here, we won't read it, but you can read it in your time, in your own time. The most important aspect of the Christian life is love. He, goes, he, he talks about love being more important than faith, love being more important than hope. The greatest of these in the very last verse is love. 1 John 4.18 tells us that love destroys fear or love casts out fear. And then Romans 13, verse 10 tells us that love is the fulfillment of all of the law. Over a thousand times in the Bible, the term love or one of its derivatives is used. It's a very important word in the Scripture. So it makes sense why Satan is going to attack it so much. It's foundational to our Christian faith. It's foundational to our Christian life. It's foundational to our walk with God. So Satan's going to attack us in the area that is most significant uh, uh, in regards to our walk. Matter of fact, there are so many doctrines that are rooted in love that if you undermine or destroy the definition of love, you will undermine and destroy the, the meaning of these doctrines. Redemption is based upon love. Forgiveness is based upon love. Mercy is based upon love. Grace is based upon love. Uh, sanctification is based upon love. Glorification is based upon love. Eternal security is based upon love. Perseverance is based upon love. God keeping His promises are, is based upon love. All of these doctrines, and I, and I don't, I, this is, that's not even a, a complete list. Most of the doctrines of God's Word are undermined or destroyed if a person does not have a proper understanding of what love is. So we're going to seek to understand it with these nine simple statements and a few things, a few thoughts to go with them. Understanding love rightly is important because of how much it affects, how much it affects our view of God and how much it affects the way that we treat others. So with Jesus Christ as our standard... We're going to look at some worldly theories and some biblical truths about love. So if you're taking notes, these are the nine things that I want you to think about. Number one is love is not a feeling, it's a choice. Love is not a feeling, it's a choice. The world tells us love is a feeling. How do we feel? How does this person make, make us feel determines whether or not they love us or whether or not we ought to love them. When we don't feel good about somebody or they don't make us feel good, ultimately people will say, the world says, well, you don't love them anymore or they don't love you anymore. Now, this definition of love is what has led us to 50 plus percentage of marriages ending in divorce. 
It's what's led to young adults living together, testing this feeling to see if it's really there. It's like, it's like they, the world tells you, you know, if you don't have that, if you don't have that, um, that 4th of July experience when you're with your mate the first time, then that's not the right one for you. So the world goes around and testing all of these, all of these theories to see if they have the 4th of July experience. The 4th of July experience is not what defines love. It's not what defines love. The apostles didn't have a 4th of July experience. They had a martyrdom experience. They had a suffering experience, a sacrificial experience. But we define love in such a way that in the world that it is simply a feeling. It's an emotion. And so we're constantly looking for this feeling and an emotion. And when that person no longer gives us that feeling or emotion, we abandon that person and we go to somebody else seeking the same feeling and emotion. Those of you who have been married here this this morning that have been married for a number of years, you would all agree that love is not about feelings. It's about commitment. It's about staying the course when things don't feel right. It's about loving when there isn't the the 4th of July experience going on in your marriage. And everybody who's been married any length of time will know and tell you that. As a matter of fact, you you don't stay married the long haul if you're building on feelings. I could ask for a raise of hands, how many of us would be divorced if we based our marriage on feelings? And there would probably not be one hand not raised in here in this moment. It's not a feeling. That's what the world tells you. And the, and the young people are buying into this, to this, to this lie, and they're out seeking after something that's not even biblical. It's not even true. It's a lie. It's it's an error. It's a heresy that love is this. And so then what they do is they, they, they take it and they relate it to God as well. We'll look at that here in a moment. The Bible says love is a choice. The, the Greek word that we get, our primary word for love is agape. Agape is not something that's built around your emotions or something that's built around feelings. It's something that's built around a choice. It's built around something that you willingly do for somebody. This is the type of love that God showed us. It wasn't that we were valuable or, or lovable or just this big, warm, fuzzy friend that God needed to have to make his life fulfilled and complete. It wasn't that. Matter of fact, the reality is the scripture teaches clearly that we were the enemies of God before he came and loved us with an eternal love. Love isn't determined by how we feel. Listen to what Romans 5, verse 6 through 8 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. And we can, you, can, you can take that word ungodly and you can put the word unlovable there. This is not Christ loving people who are um, lovable. It's loving people who are not lovable. For one, the Bible says, would scarcely die for a righteous person. Like one, would, one would love a righteous person and, and even to, uh, to uh, love somebody if it's a daring moment. One might do that. But God showed love. And I just, God showed his love, it says. But God showed true love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So remember this. God doesn't love you because you make him feel good. God doesn't love you based upon feelings. He loves you because it is built into his character to love you. 
There are going to be days that are going to go by that you're going to feel like, man, I've completely dissatisfied God. He doesn't, he doesn't what? He doesn't love me anymore. No, you miss the point. You miss the meaning of the word. God doesn't love you because how you make him feel. God loves you because he has determined to love you. He has chosen to love you. He has poured out a love upon you that's not built on his emotions, but built upon his, his character. And the reality of it is this morning, our love needs to be for others. It doesn't need to be built around our emotions, how people make us feel or, not, or make us not feel, but built around our character. That because Christ lives in us, that we become loving people. And because we are loving people, we love others. Mainly, our, our, or specifically, our brothers and sisters in Christ, our husbands, our wives. Listen, this is marriage changing. This is marriage changing. Your marriage has so much more hope if you stop looking at it from how the other person makes you feel. And you start making a conscious decision, I love this person no matter how they make me feel. That is the devil's lie that he whispers into your ear when your mate, and I'll just say my wife, because that's I'm I got a wife, so I'm saying my wife. She, if I build around how she makes me feel sometimes, I would think, well, she doesn't really love me. And you know something? I hear that voice. It's a lie. It's not how she makes me feel that determines whether she loves me or not, or, or whether I love her or not. It's a choice. It's a decision. It's something that God has planted within us based upon His character. He has planted His character in us, and we're, we're to manifest that to other people. I, I'm, happy. I'm happy this morning that God doesn't love me because of how I make Him feel. Right? I'm supposed to manifest that now to my wife. She should be happy that, I don't lo- that, that my love is not based upon how she makes me feel. My satisfaction should be that I'm not basing my love for her on how she makes me feel. Love is not a feeling. It's a decision. It's a choice that we make. It's built on character. It's built on character, not on feelings. Number two, love is not optional. It is expected. Love is not optional, it is expected. The world teaches us that love is optional. Love your friends, hate your enemies. Love those who bless you, hate those who hurt you. Love those who like you, hate those who are different than you. Love those who are like you, hate those who are different than you. The world makes love into a game. and It's, a, it's an exchange system where you give me something and I'll give you something in, in return. If you respond to my love properly, then I will love you even more. The Bible doesn't teach love as being optional. The Bible teaches love as being expected. Why can love be expected of a believer? Love can be expected of a believer because of the character of God that lives within them. When we think about God being love, we expect him to love, don't we? That's what, that's what we, we, we say, God is love, so I expect him to be loving. If God were not loving... It would not fit into his character, would it? It would not match up with what we know about God in Scripture. If God is not loving, it's not, it's not, we don't see him as, be, as being God. Love is not optional. Love is expected. God, God, God displays love to us because it's his character, and then God commands us to display love to others. 
Again, we go back to the first commandment and the second commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as yourself. And Matthew tells us to love our enemies. Love is expected of us. We are to be loving people. We are to be loving people to God first, to others second, and we're to love our enemies. This is what we're called to do. It's not even, a, it's not even necessarily a call in the Scriptures. It's a command. It's an expectation. God expects us, those who have His character in them, His Spirit in them, God expects us to love. If, if His nature is in me and He is love, then I'm going to, I'm going to love, right? Right? Amen? You guys there? He, if, if, my, if, my, if His Spirit lives inside of me and God is love, then I'm going to love other people. It's not optional. It's expected. Matter of fact, in the Scriptures, He says over and over again, if you don't love, you need to evaluate yourself. If you don't love, there's something wrong with you spiritually. Why does he say that and how does he say that? He says it because if his character is in you, you will love. You will love biblically, not from a worldly perspective. Number three, love is not easy. It's sacrificial. Love is not easy. It's sacrificial. The world will tell you that love should be easy. Love shouldn't make things more difficult. Love shouldn't make things more challenging. So what happens when life gets challenging based upon love? How many many of you love has made life challenging in some ways? I'll just ask you to raise your hand. Okay, good. And and all the others of you are lying. (laughs) Love has made things challenging, hasn't it? If you believe in your heart that love is not meant to be challenging, then you will run because you will think it's not love anymore. Love is meant to be challenging. If things get difficult, it doesn't mean that love is gone. It doesn't mean it's time to abandon that relationship because, there's, because it's no longer easy. Love is meant to be challenging. God sent His only Son as a display of His love. Do you think that was easy? How many of you think it was easy for God to send His only Son into this world and then hang Him on a tree like Isaiah 53 said because you and I were dirty, rotten scoundrels? How many of you think that was easy? That's a display of love. It's not easy. It's not meant to be easy. It's meant to be challenging. The greatest display of love is sacrifice. The Bible says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man bless himself for his friends. Is that what it says? That a man lay down his life for his friends. Love is sacrificial. The Bible tells men in Galatians chapter number 5 that you're to love your wives as Christ loved the church. And then he did what? And gave himself for her. You're to love your wife in such a way as Christ loved the church and he was sacrificed on the cross for her. Love isn't easy. Love isn't easy. Jesus Christ did not display an easy love. He displayed a sacrificial love. He displayed a love that cost him his very life. God displayed his love for us by making the ultimate of sacrifices, and we display our love for other people by making the ultimate of sacrifices for them. Man, listen, folks, if you ever question God's love for you, look at the cross. 
Look at what he did. Look at his son hanging there on a tree 2,000 years ago, blood dripping everywhere, nails in his hands and in his feet and a spear in his side. His head has a crown of thorns on it. He, he has his, re, his, his beard ripped from his face by their bare hands. He's been spit upon and mocked and punched in the face. If, if you ever question God's love for you, you need to look at the cross. Because the love of God is not easy. And loving somebody by choice, loving somebody because you choose to, is not always easy. It's going to cost you something. But listen, it's worth it to restore and find that biblical love, that biblical meaning of love again. It's going to help you embrace two things. It's going to help you embrace God because you're going to know him better, but it's going to also help you embrace that person that sits next to you. And and it's not always right. You're going to see that 2,000 years ago, there was, this, there was this world full of people, and God looked down upon them and said that not a single one of them was lovable, didn't he? Romans 3, God looked down from heaven and saw that there was none righteous, no, not even one. So God looked down from heaven and saw that that was going on, and what did he do? Did he say, oh, I'm done with those people? What did he do? He sent his son. Greatest sacrifice of all time. No one will ever be able to meet the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on our behalf. Why? Because he loved us. This is, what, this is the definition of love, folks. It's not, it's not a warm and fuzzy feeling. Yeah, sometimes there's a warm and fuzzy feeling there, and I'm thankful for those warm and fuzzy feelings. But listen to me. If you're building, if you're building the basis of your love on a warm and fuzzy feeling, you're on, you're on, you're on shaky ground with God and with your mate. Love is not easy. It was not meant to be easy. It's not free, but it came at the ultimate price. It's not without sacrifice, but it came with the ultimate sacrifice. Let's go on. I believe number four. Love is not temporary. It is eternal. It is, it is forever. The world teaches us that love comes and goes. It's based upon your circumstances, based upon your feelings, based upon your emotions, but it can come and it can go. The Bible teaches us that love is forever. It doesn't come and go. It's, it's, based upon, it's not based upon the circumstances or feelings. It's based upon the character of the individual that has it, and it is not blown here and there by the wind. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, we looked at the text, or you're probably still there. It says, love never ends. Love never fails. Love never wavers. Love never weakens. Love never lightens up. Love is always strong if it is true love. It's not what the world teaches, though, is it? The world teaches a flaky love, a weak love, an inconsistent love. Can you imagine... Can you imagine a love with God that was not forever? It's like, yeah, if I feel like loving those people, I will. If I don't, I won't. No, scriptures are very clear. Romans 8, 31 through 38, Bible says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not height, nor depth, nor death, nor angels, nor any other creature can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Love is not temporary. Love is forever. 
when you get married, you stand on that altar. I know, I hope I don't, I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes. I know we have divorced people in here, and I'm not trying to step on your toes. But, but listen to me. When you stand on that altar, you say, you say till, till what do us part? You say, till death do us part, don't you? Do you know why you say that? Because you are representing the love of God in that moment. That is supposed to be an eternal security commitment right there. When I say that and I stick to it, I am, I am evidencing what eternal security looks like. Imagine if God lived like we live today. Yeah, I don't really like them anymore. I'll just go over here. Or things are really rough. I'll just... No, it's an eternal security thing when we understand God's love and the love that God shows and the love that God commands is not something that is temporary. It's something that is forever. That's why we make that commitment. We make that commitment because that's what God made to us. And I'm thankful that his love will never fail and it will never end because there are days that I'm not very lovable. Number, number, whatever. Number five. Thank you. Number five. Love is not about you. It's about the other person. Love is not about you. It's about the other person. The world teaches us that love is all about us. The world presents love as being entirely selfish. Do they make you happy? Do they make you satisfied? Do they fulfill your wants and dreams? Love is all about you to the world. The end, is the, relation, the end is always relational discouragement and relational death. The Bible teaches us a love that is selfless. It is a giving love. It is a sacrificial love. How can I satisfy that person? How can I help them? How can I complete them? What can I do to make them happy? What can I do to make them fulfilled? What can I do to make their life better? What can I do for them? Love is giving. Love is concerned more about the other person than it is about itself. It's not about you, it's about them. Whatever the price, whatever the price is that you have to pay to, be, to bring satisfaction and fulfillment to the one you love, you are willing to do it. Hence what Christ Jesus did for us. He paid a high price for us and we are fully the benefactors. It's interesting how love displays itself. The one who is giving the love makes all the sacrifice in the world. The one who is receiving the love is the one who, benefact, who is, the, is the complete benefactor of it. That's love of God. It ought to be the love that we bestow as well. John 10 and verse 10. The thief cometh not but forth to steal, kill, and destroy. But I am come, Christ has come, that, he might, that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. God's love is about, he gave his love for us to save us, to set us free, to pay for our sins and to make us his own. Number six, love is not conditional. It is unconditional. The world teaches that love is conditioned on performance. Do this and I will love you. Conditional love is earned or deserved love. It's not a gift and, and, and ultimately it's not really love. If you have to do anything, I know this younger generation, they, 
they, they throw this word around fairly loosely and the idea of if, if you really love me, you'll do this for me or if you really love me, you'll do that for me. This is, this is a deception and a lie because this is not what love is. Love doesn't have conditions on it. Love is unconditional. Again, thank God that his love for us is unconditional. The Bible teaches unconditional love, unearned love, undeserved love. Unearned uh, love and undeserved love. Unconditional love is impossible love. God showed his love for sinners, which was a display of unconditional love. God doesn't love you because you've met certain standards. God doesn't love you because you've kept certain rules. God doesn't love you because you have done certain things or will do certain things in life. That's not the basis of God's love for you. The basis of God's love for you is his character. He has chosen to love you, and he loves you in spite of the things that you do or don't do. His love is unconditional. Number seven, love is not always pleasant it includes discipline. The world teaches that love is always pleasant. When it hurts, it's no longer love. When life hurts, it's because God doesn't love us anymore. The Bible, on the other hand, teaches that love is difficult and love hurts. On several occasions, the Bible actually tells us that love is displayed through discipline. It's displayed through telling somebody the truth that they may not want to hear. God shows his love not only by uh, showering blessing on us, but he shows his love also by disciplining us. Remember this, true love includes discipline, sanctification, and speaking the truth. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews, if you would, in the 12th chapter. Hebrews, the 12th chapter, the Bible tells us in verse 3, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Notice that the natural response to the discipline of the Lord is weariness. But he says, don't be weary when the Lord disciplines you. Why? For the Lord disciplines the ones that he, that he loves. And he chastens or chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? God disciplines those he loves. He, he disciples them. He teaches them through difficulty, through challenges, through hardships. You remember this. Your marriage, yes, it's meant for pleasure, but your marriage is also meant for discipleship. Your marriage is, is also meant for hearing the truth in uh, times that you don't want to hear the truth or you may not like the truth. Your marriage is meant for sanctification as well. If you understand that marriage is meant for those three things, you will know that sometimes it's going to be hard. You've been given the wife that you've been given because you're supposed to be sanctified. Bible tells us in Ephesians 5, I quoted a moment from, ago from there, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. 
there is a sanctification process that goes on in a loving relationship. Matter of fact, the reason why a, a person can tell you those things that are challenging is because there's a loving relationship there. The same with our children. Proverbs 13, verse 24 says this, Whoever spares the rod hates his son. These aren't my words, they're God's words. If you don't discipline your children, you hate them. They say, Pastor John, that's crazy. Yeah, that is crazy from the world's perspective. It's not crazy from God's perspective. The reason the world's in the case, the situation that it's in today is because there is no discipline. The reason why the next generation has less hope than this generation is because there is no discipline. And the reason is, is because we say, quote, unquote, I love my kids too much to discipline them. No, you don't. You love yourself too much to discipline them. Love includes discipline. Love includes sanctification. Love includes saying no. If your kid is going down this pathway and, it, and you know it ends in destruction and you do nothing to stop them, you don't love them. You love them when you seek to stop them from destroying their life. That's, that's love. And one day they will thank you for it. Why do we do that, Pastor John? Because that's what the world is telling us to do. That's what we see on television. We see these kids running rampant over their parents and doing whatever they want to do, and it's seen as this, this happy little family. And when dad says, no, you can't do that, all of a sudden it's chaos family. The world is showing us the opposite of what love is. We've got to get back to what the scriptures say. You say, oh, Pastor John, that just looks so crazy. Well, good. The word of God is crazy sometimes because it tells you the truth when the world is doing everything in its power to tell you a lie. God doesn't just love us forgivingly. Remember this. God doesn't just love us forgivingly and then leave us. He, love us, he loves us forgivingly, and then He changes us. He sanctifies us, and then He glorifies us in delivering us in the end. Love is not always pleasant. It includes discipline, sanctification, and hearing the truth. Number eight, or nine, eight. Thank you. Love is not robotic. Love is not robotic. It is built on intimacy. Love is not robotic. The world teaches us, and this is a way the world uses against us in regards to this Christianity, to, to our Christianity. The, the world uses this against us, and it says the world teaches that we should just, we're called to love everyone in the same way. So we're to just accept everything because we're supposed to be a loving people. So we allow things and we accept things that we ought not to accept. This is not a biblical truth. The Bible teaches us that love varies based upon intimacy. And it's displayed in us. I could ask the question, how many of you love your wife more than you love any other woman? And I would hope that every husband in here would raise their hand. I could ask the question, how many of you love your children more than you love your neighbor's children? And I would hope that every parent would raise their hand. I could say, how many of you love your family more than you love other families? And I would hope that every one of us would raise our hand. God is the same way. God's love is not robotic. It's intimate. 
It's, it's, it's being close to him and him being close to us. God has a general love that he shows to all the world. The Bible says he reigns on the just and the unjust. He gives us food. He gives us clothing. He gives us buildings to live in. He gives a general love to everybody. But it's not the same love that God shows towards his own children. God has shown you this morning, if you're a Christian, God has shown you a special love, a unique love. It has nothing to do with you being deserving of it, everything to do with the fact that he chose to do it. 1 John 3 and verse 1 says this, Behold, what kind of love the Father hath given to us. I mean, they're, they're magnifying over the fact that the God has shown them a unique love, a special kind of love, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it does not know Him. Behold, what manner of love God has shown to us. What, what level of love, what type of love. God has reached down to us in a special way. God has reached down to our country in a special way. God has reached down to us as individuals, our homes, in a special way. God has shown us a special kind of love because God's love is not robotic. God's love is built on intimacy. God doesn't love everyone the same. We see this in the Old Testament with God's special love for the Jewish people. We see it in the New Testament with God's special love for those who are repentant and have faith in Him those who are a part of his family. His general love is for everybody. His general love is repent and trust Jesus and you will be saved. Do you know how many people get that offer? Ought to get that offer? Everybody. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Everybody gets that offer. Do you know how many people have their eyes opened to those truths in a supernatural way? Not everybody. And if you see, it's because God has opened your eyes. It's a grace. Say, Pastor John, how do I respond to that? You respond in thanksgiving. You respond in thanksgiving and you respond in sharing sharing with others the gospel. The last thought this morning is simply this, and this is the most challenging one, and I just hope you'll bear with me as I walk through it a, a, a little bit. Love does not exclude hate. Love does not exclude hate. It demands it. This is a hard thing to accept, especially in the culture that we live in. But if you read your Bible, you will not just see a God who doesn't hate things. You will not, not just, you will not see a God who doesn't hate. And if you understand love right, you will know that you have to hate things to love things. There are certain things that you will hate naturally because you love something else. Somebody wants to come into your house and destroy your family, you will hate them because you love your family. The basis of God's hatred is the display of God's hatred all throughout Scripture, whether it be with the Egyptians going into the Red Sea and being destroyed. The display of God's hatred and anger in those moments is always built around what? It's always built around love. It's never just hatred for hatred's purposes. It's never a hatred that doesn't have a, a rootedness in love. And nor should our hate ever be just indiscriminate or not with a basis of 
love. The world teaches that love has no place for the world teaches that love has no place for hate. The world teaches that loving people cannot hate. Love, love is for everyone. Love and hate cannot coexist. You either love or you hate. The world wants us to think that we can't hate. And then ultimately, that leads to universalism. If God loves everybody the same, then everybody, God cannot hate, God cannot condemn, God cannot judge. The basis of our salvation is God's love, and therefore everybody is saved. The Bible teaches something different. The Bible teaches that if we truly love, we will naturally hate. Hatred is a natural byproduct of love. If I love my wife, I will hate her enemies. If I love my children, I will hate their enemies. If I love God, I will hate his enemies. Are we supposed to love the devil? It's a natural thing to be like, yeah, I'm supposed to hate the devil, of course. Why? Because you love God. The basis of your hatred for the devil is your love for God. If I love good, I will hate evil. Romans 12 and verse 9 says it this way, Let love be genuine. Abhor, another word for hate, what is evil and cling to that which is good. It's built, built around love. The hatred that we display as Christians is not hatred for no purpose. It's hatred based upon love. We ought to hate unrighteousnesses. We ought to hate evil. We ought to hate wickedness. We ought to hate those things that are, are in defiance to our God. We ought to hate those things that are destructive to the things that God has created. We ought to hate those things. Listen, folks, we're a generation that just wants to embrace all of this stuff that is, uh, that is literally shaking its fist in God's face. And we as Christians ought to hate that because we love God. And may I submit to you the reason why we don't hate those things enough is not because we should, we, it's not because we don't hate them enough, it's because we don't love God enough. It's not that you build your hatred, you build your love for God, which ultimately produces hatred towards those things. See, that's where the devil is working in us today. He is minimizing our love for God, which is minimizing our hatred for evil. We've got to get back to loving righteousness enough to hate unrighteousness. God showed us this in the Old Testament when he loved Israel by hating Egypt. He showed it in Jacob's life where he loved Jacob by hating Esau. Literally, if you look at the book of Malachi, he says it this way. The people of Israel, he asks the question, he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And I'm paraphrasing, but follow me. And, the, and, the, and they say, how have you loved us? Jacob says that, representing Israel. How have you loved us? And he says, I have loved you by causing everything that Esau did to fail. I have loved you by, by hindering evil Esau from being able to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish in your life to destroy you. And he literally says the words, I hated Esau, that's how I loved you. And he tells us the same exact thing in Romans 9 where he talks about, I hated Esau, but I loved Jacob. It doesn't make any sense at all in regards to our knowledge of God if you take a God that hates Esau for no reason at all, does it? But if you take an Esau who wants to destroy a Jacob and God loves a Jacob, it means that's why he hates an Esau. 
This is why God did what he did with Israel and Egypt and all of those other nations. Some of the things that God did to other nations make no sense unless you have a basis of love for Israel. It doesn't, does it? When you read about God wiping out children and, and, and men and women and cattle and saying, everything, destroy it. When you read that, it doesn't fit into the character of God unless you bring in God's love for Israel and his knowledge of the fact that these nations will seek to destroy his children. Love has hatred. And we need to relearn that. We need to re-embrace that as God's people. It's not, it's not wrong to hate evil. And not just to hate evil, but the things that are associated with it. I know the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. But I tell you something, that wrestling match, it is against principalities and against evil and all that stuff. But let me tell you something, it manifests itself in human form. The devil has his own people. The Bible tells us in Psalm 11, verse 5, the Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. There is a serious false sense of security. Listen to me. There is a serious false sense of security based upon an inaccurate view of God's love that those who have not repented of their sins or placed their faith in Christ are under a salvific love. Everybody needs to know this. Up to the point of salvation, up to the point of repentance and placing your faith in Christ, you are God's enemy. Not my words, His words. You are at war with Him. Don't whitewash it. It is truth. up until the moment when you confess before him your sins and you embrace what Jesus Christ has done for you, you are the enemy of God. The Bible tells us in Romans 8, 1 and verse 8, God will pour out his wrath on all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men. See, this is a false cultural teaching that God loves everybody the same and therefore everybody is fine. There's no reason to fear God anymore. What's there to fear? I'll tell you something, folks. There is much to fear. Matthew 10, 28 says, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear Him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. And then John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has everlasting life, but whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Listen, I want us to, I want us to recapture what love is. Not from the world's perspective, not this fake, empty, uh, uh, meaningless love that's just about a big fluffy teddy bear. And This is not love. This is worldly view of a something that they have created. I want us to get back to embracing the love of Scripture. And when we embrace the love that God presents to us in Scripture, we will then understand God's love for us, which is rich and full and meaningful. And then we will also embrace a proper love for each other. 
sometimes I think we're so fixated on this fake love. Somebody came into our house and wanted to hurt our family. We would think it had to, we would have to love them and let them. It's foolishness. It's literally foolishness. But it is the way the world thinks. But it is not the way God thinks. And it is not what God's expecting from his people today. God is not expecting us to embrace that which is evil. But he's expecting us to embrace him and to embrace each other. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. Thank you for loving us with a real love, with a rich love, with a meaningful love, a love that matters, a love that will carry us through difficult times, a love that will be stable for us, a love that stands with us when we fight against the enemy. It's not a love that's on both sides. It's a love that truly stands for righteousness and stands with righteousness. Lord, help us to just reschedule our minds, reevaluate, re- refocus on what is true love. And with you as our example. Please bless us as we go home today. Help us to meditate on these truths. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.